This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting Honey Boy, an emotional coming-of-age film that critics are calling a cinematic act of courage and nothing short of miraculous, starring Shia LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges, and Noah Jupe, in theaters November 8th. When I first read the script, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, I mean it in the best way. It was like a little comic book. I feel uh, great that the, all the hard work we all did is looked at in a positive way, and that is very exciting. Women working together is probably one of the most fun times that I've had in, in my career in every facet of it, and this was kind of like the... The goal became movies that can play all over the world, which means less nuance and, and less language. For movies me, like she was this. alive, desperately alive, because it was the only way that I could truly tell the story that needed to be told. For LA Times Studios, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, where culture and entertainment meet. Those were the voices of Meryl Streep, Adam Sandler, Jennifer Lopez, and Matt Damon. The last voice you heard was Cynthia Erivo talking about finding the voice of Harriet Tubman from her film Harriet. And this was just some of the amazing talent that stopped by our studio at the Toronto International Film Festival. And this is a special bonus episode of The Real, where we'll discuss some of the highlights of this year's festival. And so I'm joined by some of my colleagues here in Toronto, Jen Yamato, Amy Kaufman, Justin Chang, and Glenn Whip. So let's get into it here, everybody. We're going to get down to the, the ugly truth of film festivals here and how Toronto in particular relates to award season. Glenn, do you feel like the Oscar race has been impacted at all by the last few days worth of movies? Sometimes that happens in Toronto with a film like, say, 12 Years a Slave, which premiered here and left here, the Oscar frontrunner, and went on to win Best Picture. This is a year where I'd still say the frontrunner is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's... What? No, literally, I'm actually shocked. What? It's a really good movie that people like. <laughs> You think that's the front runner? As opposed to what's I your have wishful thinking, which yeah. is Parasite, which everybody should watch. Right. And and I love out. Parasite. I'm really hopeful that Korea finally gets a foreign language film nominated for foreign language feature. And I'm especially optimistic that this could be a movie that goes on to earn a Best Picture nomination as well. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Parasite has been this constant, I feel. And, you know, this movie, Bong Joon-ho's movie, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes a few months ago. It's very deservedly so. And this movie, the most gratifying thing about Toronto, I think, has just been hearing people discover mm -hmm. this movie. And I haven't heard a single indifferent or, frankly, less than positive reaction to it. And so everyone is talking now about whether this movie can not only earn Korea its long overdue first international feature, but if it can also push into other categories as well, like Best Picture and Best Director, which it absolutely deserves to do, in my opinion. So Parasite, The One, The Palm, The Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which overlaps with Toronto, went to Joker. So you have this really interesting thing where these movies, whether it's an international film or a comic book adaptation, are vying for awards in a big way. And it's interesting, these two movies in particular which both have a really interesting political subtext. And it's actually the same subtext, which is Eat the Rich, which is one of the more interesting things going on at this festival. And that is a subtext that has come up in a number of movies here in Toronto and some movies that have already come out this year. But I want to be sure that we start talking about some of the movies that have actually premiered here at the festival. I think one great place to start with that is the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. 
directed by Mariel Heller. And before we get into that, we've got just a little bit of the trailer for that that we can listen to. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? As you can tell, that's the story of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, played by Tom Hanks, having this encounter with a cynical, disbelieving journalist, played by Matthew Reese. And Amy, I, I believe you were at the premiere of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. How did that movie play here in Toronto? I think it went over pretty well. It's definitely, for people who saw Morgan Neville's documentary about Mr. Rogers last year, it's a very different story than that. It's not always a focus on Mr. Rogers himself. It's about a journalist from Esquire named Real Life Tom Juneau, who wrote a big story about him and how interviewing Mr. Rogers emotionally impacts him. So Matthew Reese, who plays this journalist, is really like the lead character. And some people don't love that about the movie. I really enjoyed the movie. Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers is like joyous. And it just gave me this warm feeling of his spirit being just, I want that empathy in the world, that there's just someone out there who's interested in other people and caring. It just gave me a good feeling in a way that something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did not. (laughs) I just want to echo Amy's affection for this movie, which I was not necessarily expecting anything great out of. I think it confirms that Mario Heller is just a sensational directing talent. And the subtlety of her direction in this movie, which is shot in a really modest, sort of faded look that almost evokes the look of old public television, it really simulates the look of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in very subtle ways. And this movie just snuck up on me in the best possible way. I love that it's about this character because this is about a man who had time for everyone and who had time for seemingly unremarkable stories that you maybe have seen a hundred times before. And it's that empathy that Amy was talking about, just that sense of like, I'm going to slow your rhythms down. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see as the movie is coming out that this issue that you mentioned, Amy, where it is not a Fred Rogers biopic. And I think many people are essentially expecting that that's what it will be. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out if people don't get the movie they thought they were going to get, but if they how they respond to what it actually is. Yeah, and Glenn confirmed, right, that Tom Hanks, who plays Mr. Rogers, is running in the supporting category. Yeah, I sent that text right after the credits rolled. I was surprised. You just assume going in that it's maybe going to be a two-hander between the reporter and Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers' character is kind of cast, I think Mariel Heller said this, as the antagonist. So he's the agent of change. And I'm a little less enthusiastic than everyone else on this movie. What I loved about it. It did nail the rhythms of the TV show, that stillness. And then to see a movie where the power of kindness and decency, yeah, I can appreciate that too, Amy, as (laughs) along with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and And Joker. Well, another movie that premiered here at the festival that deals with some of these same themes, although in a very, very different way, is Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Justin, you can talk about this a little bit. I think it's proven to be one of the more controversial films at the festival simply because it's one that really has a lot of strong positive and negative reactions and has really gotten people talking. Can you tell me a little bit about Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, this is Taika Waititi's World War II era anti-Hitler spoof. Waititi himself 
plays a very comical, hot-headed version of Hitler, who turns out to be the figment of the imagination of a 10-year-old Hitler youth who aspires to become a Nazi. So this is a very strange blend of Wes Anderson visual style and subversive comedy. But what I really think this movie is, and the reason I reject it, because I really really dislike this movie, is that I think at heart it's actually a very manipulative and sentimental Holocaust drama. And it doesn't even have the courage to actually be that. It has to sort of gussy that up with this overlay of subversion, which it really isn't. It's not audacious. It's not particularly dark. There is one shot in this movie that is one of the most visually reprehensible things I've seen all year. I just recoiled and I just kind of knew in that moment I Truly, Wait, can you give us a, like um, a little hint as to what could be so horrifying? It's um, it's hard to say because it is sort of a mm. climactic moment, but I just think it shows to me that the movie is really cowardly. It's supposed to be a child's view of the Holocaust, but I think it becomes very coy as a result. And Taika Waititi is, a, is clearly a very talented filmmaker. It's a vision, no question. I did not like that vision. To me, it's very interesting that the the tagline that they're using for Jojo Rabbit is an anti-hate satire, as opposed to, say, an anti-Nazi or anti-Hitler satire, and that they want the movie to exist in the realm of the abstract as much as possible. Glenn, how do you think this is going to play to the Academy crowd? I've talked to people who love this movie. Dead silence yeah, in the I, I, I don't, and I think that I think that number is going to be in the minority. The movie was just eviscerated by critics, and it has such bad reviews that films like that can't quite recover. If you're looking at casualties from the Toronto Film Festival, and there are casualties from film festivals in terms of awards, in terms of commercial prospects sometimes too, Um, Goldfinch and I think Jojo Rabbit. Waititi has like this hardcore base of fans, very vocal but I don't, I don't know if those people are Academy members. The, yeah, I don't think too many are in the Academy. But I do. I have talked to a couple of Academy members who it's like one of their favorite movies. They really did get swept up in the story and they connected with the subversive elements. But I think it's just a, a big swing by him and a big miss. And we have a little bit of the trailer from Jojo Rabbit that we can we can listen to now to give people a sense of what we're talking about. Uh, Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. (laughs) Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. And now a movie I think that there's maybe more enthusiasm for the room here is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which was a big Saturday premiere here at the festival. Justin, I know this movie you were, were very enthusiastic about. Why don't you kind of describe the movie a little bit? I think this movie is just fabulous. It is a send-up of the classical detective story, the drawing room mystery with a closed circle of suspects and a murder and a very wealthy victim who everyone had reason to either despise or to kill, and he's played wonderfully by Christopher Plummer. But what I love about this movie and what I think really bears out Ryan Johnson's talent, just as a writer, first and foremost, and it's a wonderful example of this intricately constructed mystery, something we don't see that often and something that Hollywood used to churn out by the dozens. And more than that, this is another movie that is about Eat the Rich because it is uh, Ana de Armas plays the protagonist who is the plumber character's beloved nurse who becomes 
one of a few sleuths in the movie who has to figure out what's going on. And this takes on a fascinating political dimension that is so satisfying. The less said about this movie, the better going in if you haven't seen it. But I think it's wonderful and has a terrific cast featuring Jamie Lee Curtis. This movie was made less than a year from you seeing it. So when you talk about the politics and about the class disparity, <laughs> it's happening right now. Michael right Shannon, again. Tony it's Collette, Don, Don Johnson. Johnson. So, <laughs> Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. How can I forget? Chris Evans. It's, it's really quite a cast. I mean, Ana de Armas is so good. And I think a lot of people don't yet realize that Knives Out is, in a way, her movie. She very much carries the core of it. And it's such a good performance from her. One thing I think I can say without spoiling anything in this or any other movie is every year at festivals like Toronto, zeitgeisty themes seem to manifest or show themselves in movie after movie. And in several movies that I've seen here at Toronto this year, I've seen themes of race, class, and projectile vomiting. I What's think up with that? <laughs> I think I've seen three movies with ostentatious vomiting in them. But then also I saw at least two movies with very emotionally significant shoe tying. Yes. It's funny how like these... <laughs> and emotionally um, significant true, yes. But so on Saturday night, Knives Out, which features vomiting, played at the festival, and it was followed immediately. I literally personally walked across the street to then go to see the premiere of Hustlers, which also, it turned out, featured vomiting. Money! And, <laughs> Jen, can you tell We're us really a little bit about... We're really selling these movies. I was flex. I mean, who knows where these connections come from, but Jen, can you tell us a little bit more about Hustlers? Hustlers, directed and written by Lorene Scafarian, starring Constance Wu and an incredible J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez. Incredible emotionally, incredible physically, physically incredible all around. sexually. Okay, keep going. Very dazzling. Uh, it's based on the true crime story of this ring of women in New York City around the time of the financial crash who were... Former strippers, former uh, strip club workers who basically came together to orchestrate an elaborate scam on their rich, mostly sleazy Wall Street clients, um, at least in the film. But it is based on 2015 New York Magazine article by Jessica Pressler. And what unfolds is more than just this true crime story. It's a story about women and women of color sort of seizing their opportunities for themselves that do not exist in the systems in which they find themselves. It's about sisterhood. It's about really complicated relationships that ensue. And there's a really powerful female gaze to it that I think lends this really, really smart and rare subtext. I know, Glenn, it is in some ways perhaps an unconventional award season movie, although I think Jennifer Lopez for the Golden Globes certainly would seem like a lock at this point. I don't know if you think this is a movie that could then also become a more proper Oscar film. Is it going to depend on its box office prospects? Um, a movie like this, yeah, it needs a certain commercial success to get it lodged in voters' brains. And then also the movie Dolomite Is My Name that stars Eddie Murphy as the comedian and filmmaker Rudy Ray Moore. That's a movie that, again, feels like a very like non-traditional award season movie, but 
Eddie Murphy's performance is so powerful that I personally, I could see and would hope that he would become part of the ongoing sort of award season conversation as we're moving forward. Do you think that's a movie that has any prospects for Eddie Murphy? People are really excited to see Eddie Murphy again. The response that he's been getting when he goes to screenings, he doesn't get out much. He hasn't been out much for a long time. So people are... I heard he's legitimately agoraphobic, by the way. I, I can see that. People are stoked to see him out and about, and they like the movie well enough. It's kind of a fun movie. It's not a great movie. It's a solid, maybe for the subject matter, it's kind of conventional. But I think in terms of Eddie and award season, there aren't that many comedies. Golden Globes has to fill that category with something. I think Oscar nomination would be a long shot, but um, I know Netflix is hopeful for it. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting The Report, a riveting film that critics are raving is thrilling with razor-sharp dialogue and a perfect cast. Starring Adam Driver, Annette Bening, and John Hamm. In theaters November 15th. And now I want to be sure that we talk about some of the movies that may not have had their world premiere here, but that recently premiered either at the Telluride Film Festival or the Venice Film Festival. And I think the conversations both sort of continued and maybe in some ways coalesced from here in Toronto. And I think a great place to start with that, it's a movie you've already mentioned, Justin Joker, which won the Golden Lion Award, the top prize at the Venice Film Festival. That in and of itself is a surprise for filmmaker Todd Phillips making an adaptation of the comic book Joker story. You saw the movie in Venice. You wrote about it from there, Justin. What's your impression of how the kind of movie has played here in Toronto? Do you think it's continued the same momentum that it had coming out of Venice? I think so. But I do think that there has been this answer. I hate to use the word backlash, but this response to maybe the initial more glowing Venice response. Although even in Venice, it had detractors and it had a lot of people who loved it. I am sort of in the middle. I do admire this movie more than perhaps I even want to. This is a movie that features a tremendous performance by Joaquin Phoenix, who gives a lot of tremendous performances, it must be said. It's unsettling and feels dangerous, and there's going to be a lot of discussion. Much of it has happened already, and much of it is already pretty insufferable, I think, about just what this means, how this is going to play. Is this movie an incitement to violence, as some people are accusing it of being? Is it? I truly don't know. I admire this movie, and yet I'm very torn over it as well. That was a huge topic of discussion at the party after the premiere last night. Um, many journalists and Warner Brothers executives and sort of publicists were all discussing, is it irresponsible to release this movie? Many people felt vehemently that like it would inspire mass shootings because it's a nuanced story, but will that nuance maybe be lost on people who are inclined to see Joaquin's character as like a people's hero. It's definitely a risky play. Another movie that one of the few movies to actually play the sort of the trifecta of, you know, Telluride, Venice and Toronto is Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which is an examination of a divorce, a couple played by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Jen, did you see marriage story here in Toronto? Oh, yes, I did. And now the a lot of the response to that movie has been very positive, but it does have some pushback against that. What, what were your feelings about marriage story? Oh, I think it's got a lot of really relatable moments in it for anyone who's been through a breakup. And especially if you've been through a bad breakup, which is basically what this movie is. It really goes into the, the legal process of untangling yourself from your 
partner and the two characters in this movie. Adam Driver plays a theater director and Scarlett Johansson plays an actress. They are married. They have a kid together. They are arguably by coastal New York and L.A. And all of that comes out in an increasingly difficult process that I think a lot of people will connect with. I found that it is skewed slightly more towards the Adam Driver perspective. And that will be interesting for me to see how people filter that, how people read the film based on the perspective that they are connecting the most with. Amy, did you see Marriage Story? Did you have thoughts on the perspectives that were presented with in the film? Yeah, it's um, my favorite movie that I've seen here so far. I just think it's so well acted and it's subtle in a way that so many films here are not, or it's just about kind of a smaller thing, a relationship. It doesn't have maybe a huge grand commentary on social politics, um, but it just as like a performance piece, it was so moving to watch. And it's definitely one that will stick with you after you leave. It's like heavy though. I mean, don't go in expecting a good time. And if you're a child of divorce, like doubly prepare yourself. Laura Dern is in this, and I think people don't yet realize that she's great. She's doubling down on that Renata from Big Little Lies moment. Well, when I saw the film here, I was at the first public screening here in Toronto. There were actually two applause breaks during the movie, which I think we can all attest is rare. And one of them was Laura Dern has kind of a big monologue in the two-thirds of the way through the movie where she discusses how the society has always been set up essentially to devalue the contributions of women. And there was a huge round of applause at the end of that speech. The other round of applause was at one point in the movie, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, Adam Driver sings a song for, by Stephen Sondheim. He literally performs the entire song. And the place burst out into applause and was very excited by that moment. Justin, I know we had a conversation about this. I am very much a Noah Baumbach fan. His movies have for a long time really spoke to me. And I know you maybe are a little less so, but you are in fact pretty high on Marriage Story. I am. And I'm a fan of his. I think his movies are endlessly fascinating. And with this one, maybe because it has an even more personal basis than usual, just feels as if he... What do you mean, Justin? Because the movie is, as no one has been hiding this fact it's based on the disintegration of his marriage to the actress jennifer jason lee and i don't want to fall into the trap of saying that oh only living through this experience yourself could possibly produce something that feels so honest and mature but i do think in this case that the movie speaks for itself i do agree that it's weighted more toward the adam driver character because this is bombach's perspective and it's an honest demonstration of that and part of the movie is his realization that he truly does not know in very fundamental ways this woman that he was married to for so long and glenn this is a movie it's being released by netflix in december it's been well regarded or said quite a bit that it's a movie that they're very much getting behind with their sort of awards campaign and the machine that they've really been building and it looks like it's one that could be both Best actor, best actress, screenplay, director, potentially supporting actress. Supporting yeah. actress. How do you feel about that? What do you see as the prospects of Marriage Story? And frankly, is it too harsh of a movie? Like, is that going to be an issue for it at all with the Academy or awards bodies? Well, at least what's going on in Marriage Story feels honest. And unlike Joker, which I think it deals a lot with issues of class and malaise in society, but does so in a very superficial way. Marriage Story, I've been married 22 years, and I watched this movie, 
and was deeply moved by it in the sense that I recognized myself. Everybody will bring themselves to this movie and their own and their own relationships. But you don't have to have gone through horrible divorce to really appreciate what's going on in the film. You can see yourself, I did, in the driver character, see your own blind spots and go, wow, that's something I kind of understood my wife's perspective from many conflicts and arguments that any married couple will go through over the course of time and just really appreciate what the movie's doing. And I think it's so universal that I can see it just steamrolling through awards season. So why um, couldn't Marriage Story, do you think it has a shot against Once Upon a Time? Of course it does. I didn't say that Once Upon a Time was the de facto Oscar winner. I just said it's still, Once Upon a Time feels like more of a best picture movie, but I don't know what a best picture movie is anymore. I mean. <laughs> it was just po- a year post, ago here. Post Green Book, Book post Moonlight post Shape of Water, what is a best picture movie? And and I think that's exciting. Sometimes it's dispiriting. But I think in terms of, I mean, there's a real clear path for Marriage Story with the writing, directing, the three actors, and the picture, even the score is fantastic. It's just a great movie. I wish that there was a little bit more inclusivity on screen in any Noah Baumbach movie, including this one. And I look forward to, as this movie continues on the award circuit, I look forward to people asking questions about that. Do you feel like that has not happened with what you've seen so far? I feel like it never happens, honestly. I mean, it's not just Marriage Story. Like, yeah. Ford versus Ferrari, literally, there is a one female character in it, and it's like such a thankless role, in my opinion. It's set in Le Mans, France. So I was just calling it Le Mans, France, because it's all... Dudes, it's all white dudes, the entire thing. It's a it's a it's symbolic symbolism. Yes. But yeah, that kind of stuff usually I feel like slides and it just gets blamed on the Academy's choices. And you're right, like do we hold the filmmakers' feet to the fire as much? I'm not sure. Well, same with Once Upon a Time. All of these movies, and we are seeing them make big splashes now at Telluride, Toronto, Venice, whatever. And journalists are flagging early possible issues with movies. I really look forward to those conversations not stopping, but deepening, not just when, you know, the movies come out, but after audiences see them. I feel like we're going to see a Greta Gerwig movie come out this year, too, which is probably going to be in the conversation. And her movies are real white, too. So I would like to see more of these challenging conversations come around and go beyond whether or not movies are going to be like front runners for awards or not. And maybe as we head towards wrapping up this conversation, there are so many movies that we've not gotten to. And another one that you mentioned, Justin, was Josh and Betty Safdie's Uncut Gems, which features just a staggering performance by Adam Sandler. I'd want to ask everybody here if there was like one movie that they would want to shout out or that they saw. Like, uh, Jen, what? Waves. Well, so that's the new film from Tradward Schultz. It's kind of, it's been premiering here on the trifecta circuit. And I think that's one we're going to be hearing from quite a bit in the future. And you actually did some interviews for that, didn't you, Jen? I did today with uh, the writer-director, Trey Schultz, and his fine, fine cast, which is led by Kelvin Harrison Jr., who you may have seen earlier this year in Loose. I think between Loose and Waves, Kelvin Harrison is doing some of the best work of any actors this year. In this film, you don't want to know too much about it going in, but it is about this upper middle class black family in South Florida 
who go through some stuff, some real heavy stuff. And it is an emotional ride of a movie. And by that, I mean, I sobbed into my sleeves so much through this movie in what turns out to be a cathartic way. And I think it's going to be one of the special films that we all hope people find and see. Glenn, did you have anything that really, there was maybe like a surprise for you here? I mean, I just got it out of Uncut Gems and my brain still scrambled from that two-hour experience of just madness of the four days of this Adam Sandler jeweler character trying to keep all the balls going in the air with all the debts and things that he owes and schemes that he has going on. I Sandler was fantastic and I know he can be good. And <laughs> He's capable of it. Well, punch drunk love. So I think this is the best performance he's ever given. And for all the talk about Joaquin Phoenix's ribcage and 52-pound weight loss for Joker, I mean, Sandler, to me, is the guy who really delivers the emotionally powerful performance that I've seen at the festival. And Justin, did you have anything that was kind of a discovery for you here in Toronto? I want to speak up for uh, Saturday fiction, Lo Ye's film starring Gong Li. This is a black and white period spy thriller set in 1941 Japanese-occupied Shanghai. Gong Li plays an actress who has come back to Shanghai for some mysterious reason. Is it to star in this play? Is it because she's a double agent? Is it to reunite with her ex-husband or her ex-lover? Very shadowy. Very mysterious. The first half of this movie, I, I had no idea what was going on, which is very much by design. It's about drama versus reality and wartime. And it just erupts in this whirlwind of violence at the end that is just completely thrilling and staggering. And Gong Li, who, you know, we don't see enough of these days, uh, just gives a fabulous performance. And Amy, what was the discovery for you here? Hot Doc Take, a film called The Kingmaker by Lauren Greenfield, who is the filmmaker behind a film many people probably remember, The Queen of Versailles, about a very interesting lady who built a huge mansion in Florida. This film is kind of her first like political vibe. I'll be real. I didn't know if I was going to be down for it. And Lauren Greenfield is kind of more someone who explores themes of wealth and beauty. But it's about Imelda Marcos, who was the longtime first lady of the Philippines and her ostentatious life, some questionable choices she's made in the government. She's like the character in Queen of Versailles. Like, she'll do crazy stuff. And you're just like, I'm sorry, what? So just a fun character to watch and some bigger questions at play, too. And I'd like to take a moment to mention a French film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It won the Screenplay Prize earlier this year at the Cannes Film Festival. It's going to be released soon in the U.S., and so it's gearing up for that by relaunching at a, at a festival like in Toronto, uh, written and directed by Celine Sciamma. It stars Adele Hanel and Naomi Merlant, and it's just, it's both a really passionate and beautiful love story. It also is like a very incisive portrait of women's place in society and the lives they're allowed to live, and also who gets to tell the stories of women and of their lives, and it just knocked me flat. Like, I, that movie really delivered. And so with that, I think we're going to wrap up our Toronto wrap-up. I thank all of you for taking time from your busy schedules to join me here. And so thanks to producers Katie Cooper and Paige Heimson, our engineer Mike Heflin and LA Times Studios. The trailer from Jojo Rabbit was provided courtesy of Fox Searchlight Pictures. Listen to The Real on Apple, Stitcher at latimes.com slash podcasts, wherever you get your audio. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. 
Thank you, Kate.